Well, good morning, family. Dorothy said it so well with her red slippers and her heels. There's no place like home. And indeed, there is no place like home. It is, there really aren't words to describe how I'm feeling right now. Someone asked me in the lobby, like, are you excited? Are you, are, are you nervous? Is it great to be back? Uh, yes, every emotion I feel like. And for those of you that are new around here, I've been gone for the last three months on sabbatical, and if there's one word that I have for all of you family, it's thank you. Well, that's two words, thanks. We'll fit that into one word, thanks. 33 years, we've never, of vocational ministry, we've never had a break like this before, and we feel renewed, we feel refreshed. We had the opportunity to experience God's creation on a, on a road trip. It was the most fantastic trip. Heather and I spent about 100 hours in the car going coast to coast, 25 states in 28 days, driving out to General Counsel in Spokane. We've got a, a picture of, uh, do we have a picture? There we go. Uh, we visited six national parks. This was our favorite, Grand Teton National Park. God is there. I, 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 I don't know. But let me tell you something. As, as outstanding as that was, and, and the, the presence of God being in creation in mountains and snow and water, God's in Toledo too. And the presence of God is here this morning. And so we didn't bring God back with us. We know that God's presence was here and was there. Uh, but we're just, we're so grateful for all of, all of your prayers and your support. Uh, we ended up taking a, a, a Canadian and a, an East Coast trip as well. Uh, just one picture I wanted to share with you of that. Some of you know the history of this church. It was started by a guy named Albert Benjamin Simpson. We sometimes call him A.B. Simpson. And Simpson was from, he spent a lot of time in Canada and a lot of time on the East Coast. And the guy was just crazy. Like he traveled all over the world and wrote hundreds of songs and books and he just never stopped. One of the things he did is he established, uh, helped establish the first Alliance Church. Not Well, he actually helped establish this first Alliance Church coming to Toledo 180, uh, 135 years ago. But in New York City, uh, in Times Square area, there's still to this day the building that was, I, I believe it was known as the Gospel Tabernacle in New York City. And that building was sold, I, I don't know, a while ago, several decades ago. And people kept telling me, you need to go check out the, the gospel tabernacle in New York City. And so here's a picture of, of what that looks like. It's now John's Pizzeria. Have any of you been to, to John's Pizzeria in New York City? A, a few of you have. Uh, if you're ever in New York in Times Square, it's pretty neat. So this is like the balcony and the, you can't really see the stage anymore. They've kind of blocked it off, but it's, it's there. Uh, the pizza, eh. but it was it was pretty neat just just to be able to to be a part of that. Uh, over our over the summer, totally unexpectedly, God opened up a, an opportunity for my wife and Heather is teaching at Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. I, we thought she retired, but uh, she's teaching second grade there, so that's kind of a, a little update. Uh, this. For those of you new, normally I don't share every detail of my life, but it's been a while, so. Uh, but the coolest thing that happened this summer, by far, is this next picture. 
Our grandson Finn was born, Phineas. So that's three generations of Mr. Schneeman right there. So just thought we'd share with, with you that. Well, we're going to dive into our, our text today in just a moment in the book of Ephesians. Earlier this year, I, I went through some, some counseling, some coaching, uh, a group called Tin Man Counseling, Coaching. Uh, the words are kind of interchangeable. And it was a really powerful experience for me to, to, to go through this, and I think I'm going to still do some more. And the, the, the premise, I guess, of Tin Man is like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz. A lot of us, we don't really pay attention to our feelings and our emotions. Some of you have actually been probably taught that emotions and feelings are bad and wrong and you should never pay attention to them because you can't rely on them. And yet Jesus wept and, and Jesus experienced the full range of emotions. We know that, that he, he laughed and, and he got very angry and he experienced great joy and, and, and great sorrow as well. So in the process of going through some of this coaching, counseling stuff, one of the exercises we went through was called the 10 most painful experiences of your life. Talk about a happy exercise there. Like write out the 10 most painful things in your whole life and then we're gonna discuss it and talk about it. And yeah, that was interesting for sure. A really positive experience even though it was Hard. One of the things that it revealed is I began to think about, particularly my past and my childhood. My childhood was relatively trauma-free, but, but there are a few things that I remember when I was a kid that, that were difficult, and one of them involved my athletic abilities, or shall we say, lack thereof. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, you have all sorts of medals and trophies and prizes from your athletic prowess. Me, not so much. I was known as the slow kid. I remember one time we had field day and it was like the last thing, the, the, the last thing of the day. And so we had to, to run around this track, I don't know how many times. And I, I just remember seeing all the buses pull up and I had laps to go. And most of my friends had already completed the running and I'm huffing and puffing and, well, I just was not a very great athlete. It was very evident on field day especially that I just wasn't equipped by God, my creator, to be fast. I was really, really slow. And of course, this became especially embarrassing not only on field day, but anytime it was time to pick teams. You all know what I'm talking about? Uh, some of you younger people, you experience this all the time. And there's just that, like, pick me, pick me. And they pick that person and that person and that person. And I don't want to see a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you have been, like, the last person picked? Charlie Brown. <laughs> oh, we have hands. Okay, yeah, yeah. Throughout the Bible, there were two groups of people. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews were known as God's special people, those chosen people, those people that God had picked. And the Gentiles were kind of known as 
those other people, the people that would be picked last, perhaps, the people that the Jews looked down upon as second-class citizens. And needless to say, because there was this distinction between Jew and Gentile, a lot of times there was conflict. There was tension that existed between these two groups. You could almost think of them as two rival teams. Now, I don't know with football coming up. I don't know if any of you can think of any of two rival teams. But just, just use your imagination. Think about two rival teams that, that don't get along with one another. A major part of Jesus' mission when he came to this planet was to make the two one. Jesus died for the Jews. He was the promised Messiah, the one that they had heard about for hundreds and hundreds of years. But he did something else that perhaps some of the Jews weren't expecting. He died for Gentiles as well. That's a big amen. Because perhaps some of you are, are descendants, you, you are Jewish, but, but most of us would fall into that, that Gentile category, that category of people that maybe weren't picked first or second on the team. Maybe they weren't even picked at all. so grateful that Jesus came and died for Jew and Gentile, for male and female, for you and for me. Let's pray and we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for this morning. Already I've been so blessed and I've been blessed by my brothers and sisters. There's just nothing like family. And we've been blessed by your presence. We're told in your word, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And as we've praised you, as we've worshiped, as we've, we've lifted our voices in song, some of us love to sing, some of us not so much. But the point is not about us, it's about you. And we are here for you today. We bring you honor and glory and praise today, Lord. We want to lift up your name, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. So be glorified today, be big, be magnified in our lives, not only in this hour that we have together, but in the 167 that follow, that we may be equipped, encouraged, strengthened, renewed to be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, if you've been around the last few weeks, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book. It was written by Paul to the church. This is written to a church. It wasn't written to First Alliance Church, but it was written to the church of Ephesus, a a actual city, a church in modern-day Turkey. I've been there, and it's one of the most incredible archaeological sites in the world, complete with a 25,000-seat coliseum that you can still see today. it's, It's just absolutely phenomenal. In fact, this past week, I went to, I went to, to Ephesus. Do we have that, that picture? Uh, I, I was actually su- kind of surprised. I was out at, at Beulah Beach. I think it's at the very end of the, the deck there, Hank, putting you on the spot. Yeah, I, I went to Ephesus. You, you see that there? Uh, this is at Beulah Beach on, on Lake Erie. But in all, in all seriousness, we, we'll go, go back to the other one. E- Ephesians... Uh, the city of Ephesus, it's a, it is it's truly one of the most incredible archaeological places in the world. And, and if, you, if you look at, and you can see like the, the size of this Colosseum, the size of the people, and like most 
ancient ruins. This was all pretty much under dirt and rubble. And they've uncovered it. There's like layers and layers and layers that they've uncovered to, to find this. It being one of many, many discoveries in archaeology that has, has substantiated the claims of the Bible. See, contrary to what some people will tell you, this is not a book of fairy tales. This isn't just what some person had some funky dream or was doing mushrooms or something and came up with some wild ideas. This is a book based on historical facts, real places, real people. And you have to know this, family. You have to understand this. There's a lot of wackadoodles on social media that'll tell you this is just a bunch of bunk. But I'm here to tell you, this is, this is real stuff. Again, Heather and I, we've stood here in, in this place, real places, real people, real times. So, we're in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes to the church. All right. Before we look into today's text, I want to go back to what Pastor Donald preached about a couple weeks ago, and he alluded to it in announcements. That was a really good, good tie in, Pastor Donald. I want to go back to verse 10, because this, this verse 10, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. We're in chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verse 10. Super critical text. See, our, our church mission statement says that we are a Jesus-centered family restoring God's masterpieces. That's kind of a, the tagline, the, the centerpiece. In Toledo and beyond for his glory. The bottom line of First Alliance Church, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about this building, it's about God's glory. And we want to see God's glory magnified here in the city of Toledo. This morning I was coming in and I was just praising the Lord and I was praying, I was praying for, for all the churches in our city, our great city. Uh, I had a chance to visit a number of churches this past summer. It was, it was, it was great to experience different churches. And, and last Sunday I was at the Tabernacle, and I just love the Sweeney's and the work that's happening in Tabernacle. Uh, a few weeks earlier we were next door at, at Warren AME Church, and we visited a number of different churches. But we're praying not just for God to bless First Alliance. We're praying for this city. I'm praying that... that Toledo would become holy again. And we're praying for God's glory to go beyond this city to the ends of the earth. We are praying that God would raise up international workers, missionaries, to go all over the world. I heard great stories about a group of you going to the Dominican Republic this summer. And I, I loved it. I was just so excited and having been there a couple times myself. Heather and I, in November, we're going to go to Germany, back to Germany, and, and serve and support the Germany team in Varen. And... So we're about making God great, his glory, all over the world, not just in Toledo. So it's Toledo and beyond for his glory. <clears throat> so Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's, say this word with me, masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I want you to listen to these words from a book called The Joyful Journey about this. Ephesians 2.10, Paul uses the Greek, and word, the Greek word poema, which literally means God's poetry. We've talked about this before, but the, the Greek word. Some translations say, say um, workmanship. I mean, I guess if you're a carpenter, then workmanship sounds kind of cool. Uh, I'm going with masterpiece. I'm an artist. I, I, 
I'm a, I, that, that speaks to me. And, and poema, the word is poema. It's sometimes translated handiwork or workmanship, but it misses the following point. Poetry in scripture does not rhyme sounds. It follows the Hebrew pattern and rhymes thoughts. Think about that for a minute. Rhyming thoughts. This means that as God's poetry, our thoughts can rhyme with our heavenly fathers. This is amazing. How can it work? We know that as we become intimate with someone, we begin to finish each other's sentences and thoughts. Some of you do this. Some of you do this a lot. In a deep, authentic, mutual mind state, we actually don't know where our thoughts stop and the other person's thoughts begin. This is exactly what can happen between God and us, too. A mutual mind state with God results in an emulation of his character and heart. We are showing the world the poets behind the poetry. As our mutual mind state becomes stronger, we are able to live out our purpose of being created for good works. It is important to note here that good works does not save us. Good works flow from thinking like our creator. We rhyme God's actions and not just his thoughts. Isn't that beautiful? You are God's masterpiece. You are God's poem, and you complete his sentences. You you mirror his thoughts as you get to know him, as you know his voice, as you know his heart. The more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. It's often been observed that couples, as they mature together, they start to even look like each other. Heather and I have begun to look more gray together. And we're proud of that because it means we're wise, according to the Bible, right? Okay, so now we're going to begin today's text. That was all just a warm-up. Some of you are like, isn't it time to go now? (laughs) Sorry, we're just getting started. All right, chapter, uh, verse verse 11, chapter 2. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Notice that they put it in quotes. like, You uncircumcised heathens. By the Jews, you were proud, they were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. One of the marks, literally one of the marks of Jewish people, in particular Jewish men, is this thing called circumcision. We're not going to show any pictures today or talk about that in detail, but suffice it to say that, that men were marked, distinguished, set apart by God. It was part of God's design going back to Abraham. He said, take a knife and... Well, again, we won't go there today. But like, like many Old Testament practices, today there are those Gentiles that say, well, we're New Testament Christians, and so we're not necessarily going to follow that Old Testament command. I'm not here to say whether you should or shouldn't get circumcised. That's, that's not the issue. But we recognize that in Jesus there are some Old Testament things that no longer apply to us, yeah. like pork. I always think it's just so fascinating to me that we celebrate the Jewish Messiah by eating ham at Easter time, right? I'm allergic to pork, so I don't don't touch this stuff. But there are things such as eating pork that we've said, well, that applies to the Jews in the Old Testament, and that's no longer relevant for us today. For, For 
New Testament Christians, as some would call it. Some have said, you know, they, we don't, we don't need, so we don't need to follow all the, necessarily all the laws of the Old Testament. Okay, I think I've belabored the point. So let me just say this. The point of the verse, this verse, is that there were Jews and Gentiles. They were two different groups, and they generally didn't get along. They generally didn't like each other. As I said earlier, racism is a really old thing. Now, to be really technical, it's my understanding that racism, the word race, came a few hundred years ago. But this idea of ethnic diversity, this, this idea of looking down on one group of people because of how they look and their, their nationality, their heritage, it's as old as the book. And it's from Satan. So Paul is reminding these Gentiles in Ephesus that they used to be outsiders. They used to be mocked. They used to be despised. They were those people, those other people, those less thans. But Jesus, praise God, changed all of that. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know that the, pe- the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Can I just stop for a minute? Can you imagine living without God and without hope? Some of you remember what that's like. Maybe some of you even today are living that reality today, and I'm here to say that God is real and hope is available. Listen, family, I've I've thought about getting t-shirts that just say, Hope Dealer, because our world is desperate for hope. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the weird stuff that people are talking about and experiment with and trying. There's so much brokenness, so much anxiety and fear and depression and discouragement. Suicide is off the charts. And people are like, how? Why is this happening? Because there's no hope apart from God. Jesus is the hope of the world. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is saying, you people were without God, you were without hope. They say you can live three minutes without air, three days without water, 40 days without food, but one second without hope. We have the privilege, family, of being hope dealers and introducing people to Jesus. And let me make this really clear. That's not my job, that's our job. Every one of you are called to be missionaries. Every one of you is equipped to be a a priest in God's kingdom. Every one of you is called to make disciples, whether it's at school, your neighborhood, your workplace, wherever you are, you're called to be a hope dealer. So Paul continues and he says, now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. Family, we are all related by blood, by the precious blood of Jesus. You and I, we're all related by blood. I think that's just such a wonderful thing, especially in the context of, of this, these verses where they're talking about these two different groups of people. You have the Jews and the Gentiles, and Jesus' blood came for the, all of them, for both groups, for every man, woman, and child. For God so loved 
the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its regulations, with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. The two became one. One group, one group of people, one race, the human race. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups by God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. The cross family, it's obviously a symbol that we celebrate, that we remember. Some of you have it around your necklace or around your, your, your neck. We put it on wall hangings and things. It's kind of an odd thing that, to, to celebrate, if you think about it. I mean, it's an execution device. But for us, it's a reminder that, one, that Jesus died, and two, that he's no longer there. But some have talked about how there's, there's two pieces to a cross. There's, there's the vertical piece, the up and down, and it reminds us of our relationship with God. But then there's also the horizontal piece, which is so important because we are, not told, we are told not only to love God, but we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Your spiritual maturity is not based upon how much information you have. It's based upon how well you love. And family, we are to be known as people of love. And it breaks my heart when I hear non-Christians talk about Christians. Their, our reputation is not good. We are not known as people of love. But you and I, every moment, have the opportunity to change that, to change the narrative, to change the story by how we sacrifice, how we give, how we serve, how we love, how we welcome the stranger, how we care for the widow and the orphan. It begins here in family, but then it goes out to the next realm. I think it's interesting, the, the rummage sale. I just learned about the rummage sale. I like, I like rummage sales myself. Uh, don't know if there's any room in my house for any, anything else. But we're starting with family. So did you catch that? September 9th, like you guys get first dibs. It's like family first. But then we're not going to stop there. Then the next week, we're going to open it up to the community. It always begins with family. Family first. We love one another. We take care of one another. I love hearing stories about you, family, and how you love well. You love one another well. But then it has to go outside of family to the rest of the world to show them who Jesus is, that our lives are a masterpiece. They are a poem that our thoughts resonate with his thoughts and our actions resonate with the actions of Jesus. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, but it's so much more than, than just the absence of, of violence. Shalom is blessing, it's wholeness, it's completeness. It's, it's the greatest blessing that you can say to someone. In fact, in, in a lot of Jewish circles, the greatest blessing is shalom, shalom. First Alliance Church, shalom, shalom. 
It's hard to appreciate how radical this coming together of Jews and Gentiles was 2,000 years ago. But today, both groups have been united into one family of Jesus' followers. But it was almost unimaginable in the first century. I, I really can't even, can't even describe how much tension and animosity there was. I mean, the closest thing that I can think of truly in our day is probably Republicans and Democrats. I mean, we all recognize there's just, there's hatred and bitterness and like, we don't talk with those people and those people are, imagine Jesus coming for Republicans and Democrats. Oh, he did. Imagine a commandment to love your neighbor as yourself and oh yeah, love your enemy. In fact, my master said, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus created one new people from the two groups, Jews and Gentiles. It's worth noting, too, that today there's actually two different types of Jewish followers of Jesus or Yeshua, the Messiah. There are Jewish people by heritage that would call themselves Christians. Maybe some of you in this room even would say, I'm I have a Jewish background, but I don't practice the Jewish traditions. I've just kind of become a Christian. And then there's another group of people who I believe are equally honoring to God. They are, they're, they're Jewish by birth, and they celebrate all the Jewish traditions, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and Hanukkah, but they also recognize Jesus as the Messiah and so they bring in the New Testament as well. And they're often known as Messianic Jews. I've got a couple friends who've been leaders in different Messianic synagogues, uh, Jewish Messianic synagogues. And it's, it's really quite interesting. So this is all, I believe, a realization of Jesus' prayer in John 17. He said, I pray for them. I, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. Jesus is praying to our Heavenly Father. And if you've been around any length of time around here, you know this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Jesus says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And later in, the, later in the chapter, and what I really like about it, in John 17, later he says, for those who believe. He prays not just for his followers at the time. He says, for those who will, will believe. In a world with over 40,000 Christian denominations, I wonder how much more divided we would be if Jesus wasn't praying for our unity. Verse 17, he brought us this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done for us. Here we see again Jesus' mission of peace, a mission of unity. He wants us to all get along. We all have the same Father. We all have Jesus as our brother. We're all related by blood, the blood of Jesus. We all have the same Holy Spirit. And let me just say, unity does not mean uniformity. Gosh, it'd be so boring if we all thought and acted and looked, smelled exactly the same. How boring would that be? 
There is a lot of diversity at First Alliance, and I, I celebrate that because God is a God of beauty and diversity and creation and creativity. We don't even all believe the exact same things about all the controversial verses in Scripture, and I think that's great because you know what? I may be right about something, and I can set you straight. <laughs> and you know what? You may be right about something. You can set me straight. See, we learn together. We, we grow together. I, I've been listening to a number of people that have been suggesting the value of corporate gatherings, of Bible studies in groups, of obviously our life groups, our, our primary way of doing that, where, where we sharpen one another, we wrestle through some things that are maybe not clear and controversial. This year at General Council, there were some controversial issues that were discussed and discussed and discussed and, discussed and some of it was disgusting. And, uh, but most of it was, was, it was really beautiful just to recognize we're different and we see things differently and that's okay. Now, we're not talking about did Jesus die on the cross? I don't think so. Well, I mean, there are orthodox views that have been for thousands of years celebrated by churches all around the world. We're not talking about those things, but, but there are some, some controversial things, and they're worth discussing. Jesus brings us all together. He prays for our unity, not necessarily uniformity. We can celebrate our differences. We have more in common than not if Jesus is our Lord. Yes. Just think about that. Think about what we have in common. And yet, I'm even talking, we, we even have so much in common with those other churches, and dare I say it, some of those other denominations. One Sunday I went to an Orthodox church in town just to experience it. It was really different. It was really different, family. And the question I just kept wrestling with, is Jesus here? Is Jesus here? I saw his picture all over the place. I mean, you walk in some of those churches and it's like an like art museum. It's just beautiful, beautiful. It's like... We have so much in common. All right, so wrapping up here. Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And most of us take this for granted. We just kind of assume, hey, I was raised in America. I went to church as a kid. Or as I got older, I heard about the gospel and the good news of Jesus. But the reality is back in, in Paul's day, a lot of these Gentiles were second-class citizens. Jesus comes in. He says, join the team. And this is a big, big deal. You are members of God's family. Even today, to say you are adopted, you are chosen, you are welcome and invited into God's family is a beautiful thing. Some of you come from great, strong, healthy families. And so you're like, family, yeah. And some of you are like, boy, I, I've known nothing but dysfunction in my life when it comes to family. I'm here to say that God is inviting you into his family. He's, he's saying, come, join the family. It's a healthy one, not a perfect one, but it's led by a, a perfect God. I've always loved the story of little orphan Annie going from rags to riches. Not that riches, of course, always bring satisfaction, but, but this little girl did nothing to deserve it. She was just chosen by Daddy Warbucks and said, hey, I'm taking you home. Come join the family. I suppose she had a choice at that moment whether she was going to go or not, but 
Like, okay, go to this fancy house or stay around here with Miss Hannigan. I mean, it was a pretty easy choice. It's a picture of all of us, spiritual orphans adopted into God's family. We are children of the king. Those of us who are, are Gentiles, we've been grafted into God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of his apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You are the temple. You are the dwelling of God. This is a big deal. That's why this building is not the house of God. This is the house of God. He no longer lives exclusively behind a curtain in a special place. That curtain was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. Hallelujah. That's why our bodies matter. See, if God lives in us, we must care for the temple. I remember one Christian comedian was joking, a very large man, quite overweight. He said, if, if the body's a temple, I'm a mega church." But when Jesus said to pick up our cross and follow him, he meant that we are to die. Your body is not yours if you follow Jesus. It's his. In fact, as Dr. Thomas George said last Sunday, if you follow Jesus, you don't have any rights. When, when you have a Lord, when you have a master, you surrender all of your rights to your Lord and Master. And this is the problem that we've had in our nation, and really, I think it's been for the last 2,000 years, is we have people that say, we want Jesus to be Lord on Sunday, but we want to do our own thing the rest of the week. And that's me sometimes, too. Your body, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not your body, it's his temple. Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is why sexuality is such an important thing. Your body belongs to the Lord. It's not yours to do whatever you want to with. You are to honor God with your bodies. The same can be said about nutrition and exercise and other things like your body this is the temple this is where god lives pay attention some have mistakenly taught that our bodies are bad and evil a heresy known as gnosticism others have made idols out of their bodies seeking to glorify themselves in the process worship the lord with your bodies don't worship your bodies and certainly don't worship anyone else's body The thought of God dwelling in us should be both encouraging and challenging to all of us. Notice it says, together we are his house. We are joined together in Jesus. To restate the theme of today's texts. Gentiles have been invited to join Jews in God's beautiful but messy family, uniting in a mission of peace. So I want to close with another writing from Paul, this one to the church of Galatia also in modern-day Turkey. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite the team to come up for a closing song. 
There are no second-class citizens in the family of God. You are welcome regardless of your origin, skin color, zip code, or income bracket. We're all united at the foot of the cross. We all need to die to our selfish desires, surrendering all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength to the Lord. When we do, we create a beautiful house for God to dwell in and to bear witness to his goodness, his presence and power in our world for his glory. And I pray, like Jesus, that we would be one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Family, you are invited into the family. You've been selected. You've been chosen. You've been invited to follow Jesus. I know most of you have already done that, but I want to say to those of you maybe that haven't, or maybe you have, but you've wandered away, it's a day, today is a day to come home. Today is a day to join the family. Today is a day to recognize that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Would you please stand?